Real leaders leave a legacy. They capture the hearts and minds of their teams. Their origin story puts the safety and well-being of their people first. Great companies ubiquitously have safe yet productive operations. For those companies, safety is an investment, not a cost for the C-suite. It's a real topic of daily focus. This is The Safety Guru with your host, Eric McCroskey, a globally recognized ops and safety guru, public speaker, and author. Are you ready to leave a safety legacy? Your legacy success story begins now. Hi, and welcome to The Safety Guru. Today, I'm incredibly excited to have with me Jason Anker. Jason is an incredible speaker on safety. He's got an MBA from Buckingham Palace in the UK. Uh, Jason, welcome to the show. I'd love for you to start out by sharing a little bit about your story, and then we'll we'll take it from there. Hi, Eric. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me to speak today. Um, I suppose my story starts on January 3rd, 1993. Mm-hmm. I, I was just 24 years old, married with two young children. Mm-hmm. At the time, I was working as a roofing uh, contractor on a building site. Right. It was not my job by choice, but it was a time in the 90s in the UK of the recession. So work was hard to come by. So being a family man, you mm-hmm. found what, whatever you could. Um, right. January 3rd, 1993 uh, was the first day back after the Christmas break. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd not had a particularly very nice Christmas uh, problems with my marriage. It wasn't a particularly great Christmas. But I can remember riding mm-hmm. back on site that day. It was a really cold day. It was foggy, icy, cold. I really didn't want to be on site. But, right. but the day had passed off much like every other day. Um, but then around half past two in the afternoon, mm-hmm. uh, things changed. The, okay. The, the rush job came in, the, the unplanned work, mm-hmm. and we was asked if we could try and get a two-hour job done in just one hour as, mm. the, light, as the daylight was fading. So, sure. so you can imagine being a contractor on site, trying to, trying to please the client, mm-hmm. we, we decided that we, we, we'd, we'd give it a go. We'd attempt to get the job done. And sure. Half an hour into the job, um, I unfortunately fell... 10 meters, uh, 10 feet, three meters mm-hmm. from an uns- untied, unspotted ladder. Uh, Sorry to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, instantly realized I couldn't feel my legs. Mm-hmm. Um, then the usual drama of getting rushed to the hospital by ambulance. Initially, uh, after an x ray, they concluded that they couldn't fi- actually find anything seriously wrong with me. And maybe mm. suffering from a condition and a spinal shock caused by the fall. And hopefully over the, you know, the next couple of hours, a couple of, couple of days, a couple of weeks, a few weeks, you know, I'd get all the sensations back. Um, mm-hmm. Then I was taken for a CT scan just for a close look, just to, just to confirm what the doctor suspected. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. the news wasn't great. Um, I was told I suffered severe spine injuries um, and I was paralyzed from waist down and the most likely scenario was that I'd never walk again. Wow. At 24 years old, you know, it's, you know, it's just something you're not, you're not expecting and still a belief. These things happen to other people, don't they? You know, it's it's never, Mm -hmm. it's always somebody else, but this, this was actually happening to me. Um, 
I spent um, four months in rehab, spinal rehabilitation hospital, learning, mm-hmm. learning all the skills you need to spend the rest of your life in a wheelchair. Now, when I first went there, I still believe that I'd gone there to learn how to walk. But right. you know, that is not the case. You know, I was told I'd be doubling continent for the rest of my life. So you've all the indignities of wearing bags, you know, bags on your leg, and a, a, a daily routine to go to the toilet. You know, I was, I was mm-hmm. 24 years old. Right. Back then, I suppose all the um, hospital were focusing on was your physical rehabilitation, learning mm-hmm. all the practical skills you need to spend the rest of your life in a wheelchair. Um, right. Very, very little at the time was focused on your mental health. I was actually chirping. Sure. Um, but I strongly, I strongly believe that as soon as I got out of the hospital, you know, we'd just find a way of coping. But after just a day of, out of being out of hospital, uh, April 25th, 1993, I've been home for one day. Mm-hmm. And my then wife, she walked out with two young children. Oh, wow. So if you can imagine that. Yeah, the enormous impact, you know. So for sure. you can imagine a six-month period of your life or go from a really happy, you know, fit 24-year-old to mm-hmm. suddenly being told you can spend the last of life in a wheelchair, you're doubling continent, and now your wife is left taking two young children. You know, it was such wow. a traumatic time for me. But again, it's it looking back, we never spoke about how I was feeling and if anyone asked you know if anybody asked you that roundabout way are you okay you'd yep. always want to put a smile on your face say yeah i'm fine it's it's, it's just a natural I'm instinct fine. most right. people have you know <laughs> and, uh, yeah i'm fine just no 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 one ever asked me that second po- probing question well you don't seem fine are you really okay? it's just they'd asked me i said i was okay and they mm-hmm. sort of left it at that but you know my life was, my life was imploding um Right. Didn't realise the I could speak to. Um, I was seeing a counsellor, obviously, to try and deal with things. Mm-hmm. Who used to just leave me some antidepressants, which quite shamefully I started to abuse more instantly. You know, I was drinking really heavily at the time. You know, mm-hmm. you, you, you you've hit the depths of your life, thinking it can't get any worse, and but things did get a lot worse. I, you know, quite shamefully got mixed up in the, taking illegal drugs as well. It wasn't. It wasn't I was trying to get high or it was just trying to forget all the pain I was sure. going through. But that, unfor- that unfortunately resulted in 1995 of an unintentional mm-hmm. overdose after taking ecstasy, um, which resulted in me being in a coma for 17 days, been on oh life support machines. Mum and dad being advised to turn the machine off. And it was just, you know, looking back now, I can't remember any of this. Obviously, I was, I was, I was in a coma, mm-hmm. but mum and dad was living then so two years previously told my son's never going to walk again and all the fallout from that i'm now faced with the impossible decision of basically mm-hmm. turn the machine off and watching their son die wow luckily for me luckily for me, my dad said no mm-hmm. um so i um spent five months in rehabilitation um, mm-hmm. I, I, it was very similar to like the, the lasting impact was very similar to having a stroke. Um, so came out of hospital, and again, you, people just think, well, you have, you have the trauma now, you, 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 you've done this, your life will pick up. And unfortunately, I, I couldn't speak about how I was feeling. Um, right. And the knock-on effect was massive for me. You know, where 
I could see I was affecting everybody else. I didn't know how to speak about how I was affected. And I suppose my talks in the UK really focus on not the accident and not the rehabilitation, but the impact on your life from a sure. decision I made at work one day. This is how your life implodes. And I can always put it back down to that moment. So, you know, I used to still drinking was a big problem for me. I've been drinking mm-hmm. quite often at weekends, trying to blot out the problems. Um, I found a way of coping. You know, I, I got myself into a state. Both my children came back to me full time. So I, I had a focus, um, but I wasn't really thriving in life. Nothing really meant anything to me. Sure. A long, long battle with compensation. That mm-hmm. finally got resolved after 14 years. So again, wow. a lot of people hear about, yeah. And again, a lot of people hear about accidents and they strongly believe that compensation is the, is the end of the trauma. Um, mm. But for me, it wasn't, you know, I still had money in the bank and yet I was dreadfully unhappy. So right. I was on a bit of a cycle of, you know, just spending money, material things, cars, holidays, things that, you know, just trying to make myself feel better. Yet at the end of the mm. day, when I open my eyes in the morning, when I open my eyes every morning, the very first thing I see is the wheelchair outside my bed. And go back to that, go back to that moment, twenty eight years ago when I was stood at the bottom of the ladder, and I had an mm-hmm. opportunity to speak up, and I didn't. Know it. Um, and it was by a chance actually, a chance, a chance meeting one time when I was actually drunk to party at Christmas two thousand and eight, mm-hmm. and somebody who I didn't know just approached me and asked me why I was in a wheelchair. You know, hmm. it's not it's not only it's not only the, the, the talk you get straight away at the party, but you just right. came out and said, What what have you done? Was it an accident? And I said, Yes, obviously at work I, I fell from a ladder when I was twenty-four years old and he, we arranged a meetup and he said I'd like to discuss this further, but he was really not so much interested in what I'd done. So obviously it's important to share to people what you've done, you know, as, as the accident hmm. was a cause. He says, But if you want if you really want to impact people and influence people to make correct choices on site or report unsafe facts or you know speak about anything unsafe on site talk about what you've lost in your life talk about the impact on your mm. life you know i talk sure. about you know not being able to um kick a football soccer ball as you might say with my son or <laughs> right yeah. yeah i'm getting quite good to speak in international and different ways. <laughs> <laughs> as it goes yeah um yeah, and little little things like learning my daughter to ride a bike. Right. All those little moments that, you know, we, especially as a man, as a male, these are the little moments, these are little things mm. in life that you you always remember, you know, the first kick of a football, the first sure. when you take stabilizers off, off a bicycle. You know, I had to mm-hmm. sit and watch my dad learn my daughter and my son how to ride a bike. Sure. You know, and, and those moments are the what what impact people. But what mm-hmm. I talk about today is that you know it's twenty eight years since my accident now, and those moments don't go away. So right. my daughter Abby is now thirty one, um, mm-hmm. but four years ago gave birth to my first grandchild. Hmm. Yeah, you know, am oh. I ever going to bounce my grandkids on my shoulders? Mm-hmm. No, you know it's. It's the little things. I mean, second grandchild has just been born uh, last week. So now I've got two granddaughters. So Congratulations. Oh, thank <laughs> you. Yeah, it is good. And we'll talk about it later. I, I, I'm yeah. finally in a good place. But it's only been the last sort of um, two or three years. So, you know, my accident, the devastating impact on my life, my family's life. You know, my mum and dad have been mm-hmm. trauma 
characterized by again not my accent i'm in a wheelchair more what i put them through over years from me right. to deal with being in a wheelchair that you know my mom still sees a counselor she t- still takes antidepressants my dad's you know oh. Yeah, if you told him I got a punch in my wheelchair, he'd cry. You know, his emotions mm-hmm. have all been so, so strong, you know, so bad, sure. and so deep because of watching, you know, you know, my accident happened to me. And I've always took solace in that, that mm-hmm. the only person I can really blame is myself. You know, I was really let down on the day of my accident. But fundamentally, I, I made a critical error. And it's, right. it's for me, the journey for me has been understanding why I made that choice that day at work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the journey we've gone, since I, I joined partnerships with Tim, and I was going to guest Tim Marsh, Professor Tim Marsh, since I've joined um, joined and collaborated with Tim and set up a new business, um, focusing not just on the, the safety side of an accident, but looking from, from a mental health and mental wellbeing perspective yep. as well, which is, which is absolutely crucial. So, you know, my accident's actually sort of... Um, Took so much away from me. I've been speaking mm-hmm. now for um, going for twelve years now, and literally, it's changed my life. You know, I've travelled around the world. I've been to some mm-hmm. amazing places, um, seen some amazing projects, and always along the lines of how can we get people to to work safer, or how can we mm-hmm. safety on site. Always looking at my accent as a what could you say like a don't be like me story, which are very. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of speakers. I'm, I'm quite friends actually yep. with a lot of speakers in, in America now because you know there's an, only a quite a small network of actual speakers, and we tend yep. to always focus on "Don't be like me" stories that can have the most impact. And since I've changed the slant of my story a little bit, well, I do still speak about my accident. You know, sure. There has to be a new element of looking at an accident from a different viewpoint, and mm-hmm. especially since I've been speaking about this over the last sort of eighteen months in the UK, the feedback we're getting from the clients and as importantly feedback we're getting from the workers themselves is mm-hmm. wow i've never ever made a connection between how somebody's feeling and what they do at work right so you know, so, so i think that's an incredibly important topic and i think that's where we we originally start some of our conversations um tell me more about how you were feeling that day you, you alluded to it before but also what were some of the signs, the actions that could have prevented it uh, even prior to that day? Absolutely. You know, it's such a big part. I and mean, my, my story I've told for, t- for the last 12 years mm-hmm. uh, has always started on January 3rd, 1993. You know, the day of my accident, the day, if I had worked differently that day, my, my life would have been totally different. But if sure. I may, I'd like to take you back to the beginning of 1992. Um so if you can imagine from school, uh, I was mm-hmm. very arty. So my dream job was to be a songwriter. Uh, so mm-hmm. from the school, that's what I did. It was the best job I've ever had in my life. You know, I woke up every day with a smile on my face. Virtually never had a day off. You know, if I was there with, a, you know, I still try and get into work. But 1992, mm-hmm. being in a recession in the UK, I'd actually been made redundant. So being a family man, find some more work. Now, at the time, I used to have a friend used to work on the power stations on the summer outages where they repair the power stations during the summer you know where mm-hmm. the high so they can be fit for when the demand's big and it's fantastic pay you know at the time i was probably earning five times more money mm-hmm. per, week, per week 
Ryan has my job as a songwriter, and yet I hated it. You know, it, it was not the work for me. I was away. Hmm. I was away from home seven days a week. Um, that put pressure, more pressure on the marriage because my wife, my wife at the time was pregnant with my second child, so I was away from home. Right. So what do what do what do men do when they're away from home? They work hard and they spend the evenings in the pub. Well, they right. did, you know, twenty eight years ago, that was sort of the culture. So. <laughs> It's an effect on my fitness. Obviously, I put on a few pounds because I wasn't playing football or soccer, as you say. Um, mm-hmm. I wasn't training, so my fitness levels had dropped. Um, we got finished the season off the power stations, and that's when I ended up working on the building site. And again, mm-hmm. it wasn't the work for me. You know, right. It wasn't the environment I, I wanted to work in. So my my morale on the job was pretty low. Um Hated going, hated turning up, always a, a, in a downbeat mood. Um, I can even take it close to my accident. I'll take it to the night before my accident. Mm-hmm. I was actually at a party um, in attendance with my supervisor. And oh, I, wow. can, I, can remember yep. him saying, I can remember him saying to me early evening, come on now, we must get off. You know, we've we got work the next day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... I will say because of my mental, the way I was in my mental capacity, you know, how I was feeling at the time. Now, now, I'm going to stop out. I'm going to have a couple more drinks. Now, if I'm being honest, I can't, yep. even, I can't even remember going home that night. I can, I can mm. barely remember being picked up the next day, still drunk from the night before. You know, people say to me, did your health and well-being influence that poor safety choice? Mm-hmm. I say definitely, 100%. You know, my mindset, right. you know, I didn't want to be there. And we can even go into the next day, or, or, you know, people say, what can you really remember from your accident? If I've been totally, totally honest, Eric, mm-hmm. a lot of my accident, my accident on that day has been, in my mind, has been patched together from what other people have told me. Right. Okay? But my clear, the only real bit I can really remember that day was being stood at the bottom of the ladder when it wasn't mm. tied on. It wasn't right footed. And yep. I had that same I had that safety moment. Do you know we always talk about the five mm-hmm. seconds or that gut instinct that something isn't right? And we just expect that people then just stop and do the correct thing. Well, I had that moment. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I stopped at the bottom of the ladder. I thought this is unsafe. And yet I still mm. did it. And for the last sort of um well, first sort of eight, nine years of my presentations, and I used to always try and encourage people to speak about safety. Always in the back of my mind, I was thinking to myself, but you did stop. You, you're asking people to take them five seconds, but mm-hmm. you actually you actually did that. You actually <laughs> realised what you were doing was unsafe. You stopped. You did all the correct things that we're saying that we're going to do, and then I carried right. on. And I will admit, there was some work pressure on there, obviously, sure. know, continuation of work, but I really don't think that was in the forefront of my mind that day. And I can only put it really down to, to one thing that, mm-hmm. that convinced me to to take the gamble, you know, because I know people say accidents always happen to somebody else, 990 sure. times out of 1,000, you're going to get away with it. So we are, you know, the, that mentality sometimes drives people to do, do, to do the shortcut because, because the thing mm-hmm. has never happened to them. But in my mind... I knew what I was doing was unsafe. And I've got it down to that. I felt so low at the time. I just wanted mm-hmm. to get 
football and go home. So, you know, mm. you know, me and Tim have coined a phrase, and it's only come around in the last sort of um, two or three months. Obviously, we, we push our ideas backwards and forward all the time. And, you know, Tim's always told me that if you could imagine an hour of your day, he uses a blue pie theory. Um, if you imagine mm. a big, nice pie with different sections, and if you can imagine on a bad day, um, for every hour of, of, of that day, the more things that are on your mind outside work, you could sure. tend to say, you know, could, could cloud your judgment. And I said to him, I said, that's all well and good. I can, I can understand that I was distracted. I can, I can understand that I had other things on my mind. Mm-hmm. But I didn't climb the ladder thinking it was safe. I'd actually, I, I, you know, I can't use that as an excuse because I, I don't know, I've not done that. I was, mm. fully, I was fully aware of what I was doing. So, yes, I was distracted. I had all things on my mind. I wasn't, I, mean, I wasn't sleeping properly at the time. Sure. I was eating properly, drinking too much. All these things that could have added up to that poor decision. But fundamentally, I still knew. I had that moment that this is not safe. So, mm-hmm. you know, we've basically coined a phrase. It's the effort moment where right. you, you know it's unsafe and you know it's not right and you just think to yourself, Oh, Effie, just just get the job done. Um, and since we've been using this phrase in some of the presentations, mm-hmm. the, the response to that comment has been profound. You know, people are just, not just workforce, the management as well, because obviously they play a role in decisions. And if, sure. if, they're, if they're in that moment sat in the office where they, they, they should visit site that day and they choose to, uh, to stay in the office because they're having a bad time outside work and they bought the order down the phone, get the job done, Mm-hmm. And by the time that goes through the supervisor, who, who may himself be having some issues outside work, so by the time he, he, he relays the instructions to the workforce, mm-hmm. you know, what, what instructions has he given out to the workforce? You right. know, and then if you built in then that some of the workforce is having a bad day at, well, at home as well because of a, you know, there could be a fatality, there could be problems with the family, mm-hmm. there could be finance issues. Um, you know, it, it could be the, the, the pet dying. You know, if you live by yourself and your dog suddenly passed away, you know, that's all you've got when you go home at night, mm-hmm. surely that could change the way you come to work in the morning. And I know this field we talk about is is really new, linking how well-being can affect safety. But, sure, you know, people say to me, there's, there's not enough factual evidence of this. Well, I use my story. I say, well... Mm-hmm. Look at my story. Look at my accident and all the things that went wrong on the day of my accident. But my mindset on that day, you know, contributed to my accident. Ninety-five. I mean, I even say one hundred percent of my choice that day was was made on how I was feeling. Sure. You know, I, you know could could a response to my supervisor change the way I feel? Because it's not always about having time off. And I think the the fear sometimes when we start linking safety and well-being is there going to be some kind of huge cost element to this but mm. maybe if someone just picked up on the day of my accident uh, Jason are you okay Jason today you seem a bit different sure. uh, maybe that conversation will you know clear my mind a little bit and maybe so when we go back to that moment you know uh, uh, it's a phrase in the UK a good, a good day at work is good for you and I, I, I strongly sure. believe that you know uh, Going to work in a nice culture where you know you come to work, mm-hmm. you feel appreciated, um, you feel valued, you feel part of a team. Um, you know, my accident, looking back, um, it cost the guy I was working for. It cost mm-hmm. his business. It was only a small contractor. His business didn't survive, so he lost mm-hmm. his business. 
Um, all the guys who worked for the company all lost their jobs. Right. Yeah, it was a recession, so obviously work wasn't easy to come by. So it was a knock-on effect there. We can look at the um, the supervisor himself. He was the guy who was actually footing the ladder on the damn accident. Um, and that, he didn't blame himself for walking away from the ladder, by the way, because he actually thought I was down. So when I came down on the final time, the supervisor was actually footing the ladder. Hmm. Um, but as I as I neared the bottom, obviously he moved away and walked away, thinking I was down. And that's why I got called back up the ladder. Now, you think to yourself that after my accident, he blamed himself for my accident. And right. he did. He blamed, he blamed himself. And it wasn't for the obvious thing of walking away from a ladder. He mm-hmm. actually blamed himself for allowing me on site that day. Right. He, he, he was a guy who picked me up in the morning. You know, he'd, see, he'd seen me at the party the night before. He picked me up in the morning. He saw what state I was in. And I slept on the back seat on the way to work. So his his guilt of my accident was not from walking away from the ladder. It was actually allowing me on site that day. Sure. You know, taking site, allowing me on site, you know, allowing me to work that day. And, you know, that's a bit, you know, he, he had a massive impact on his life. He, he moved away. He cost him his marriage. He moved away. So, you know, there's an impact. I think it just shows the ripple effect of accident. You know, it's not just, it's not right. just in, injured party and his immediate family. It's how it's how these life-changing accidents actually affect. You know, it's like throwing a pebble in the pond; those ripples mm-hmm. go out and out and out. And it's um, it's probably the bit that people don't want to talk about. This episode of the Safety Guru Podcast is brought to you by Propolo Consulting, the leading safety and safety culture advisory firm. Whether you are looking to assess your safety culture, develop strategies to level up your safety performance, introduce human performance capabilities, re-energize your BBS program, enhance supervisory safety capabilities, or introduce unique safety leadership training and talent solutions, Propolo has you covered. Visit us at propolo.com. So, so I think you bring up some very interesting points there in terms of the the year prior, um, the the role of the supervisor. What are some of the things that a supervisor can do or or could have noticed, right? Because I, I I remember somebody sharing a story where on one day that the supervisor was walking on shop floor. This was a manufacturing environment. And then the supervisor was talking to somebody and saying, how are you doing? What's happening? And uh, the person shared that they had just been evicted from the home that night. So they hadn't slept properly. And immediately he said, whoa, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be doing this job. Pull the person off, not without pay, obviously with pay, because they're not trying to aggravate the problems, but recognizing that that person didn't have the focus and the attention needed to take on a very, very dangerous job. So, so tell me a little bit about what would you reflect on the role that the supervisor has and maybe what are some of the cues that a supervisor or, or a leader should be looking for? Yeah, absolutely. I'll just extend it, extend it slightly. Um, the supervisor actually came forward and spoke all about his, his concerns. Do you, right. know when, do, do you know where that was? It was, it, was a day, it was a day after my accident. Mm. So all these knowledge of what was going wrong. So yeah, as a supervisor, it's like communication how how could you how can you potentially spot people acting differently sure if, if you don't speak if you're the supervisor it's getting to know your team of people so yep. you spot when people are acting differently um i think you hit the nail on the head as well you know it's all well and good asking someone if they're okay because we all know yeah. you know okay what 
what country we, we live in. You ask someone if they're okay, the natural response is, yeah, I'm fine. Because yeah. we, we just default back to the usual question, how are you? And you could have the worst day possible. If you're asked by, a, by somebody, how are you doing? We just inst- instinctively reply, yeah, I'm fine. But yeah. as you <laughs> mentioned on, on your example, I would imagine that was exactly the same conversation that um, supervisor had with his worker. Because mm. he then w- went to approach it from a different angle, maybe taking him to one side and just asking him again, oh, you, you seem so different. Are you really sure. okay? And it only takes another couple of prodding questions in our experience. Mm-hmm. The person then will open up about the problems. And as you rightly say, it, it, it could be something uh, traumatic, or, you know, it could be a death of a partner or something. Sure. Or more likely, it's just something that's, that's clouded that person's judgment in a day. And we all know when things are on our mind, it's hard mm-hmm. to it's hard to get it off. I mean, I, I'll, I'll use a very quick story I've got because I think yep. it just shows the importance of when we start this journey. Um, a couple of years ago, we were presenting for a regional airline, and mm-hmm. a guy came to speak to us at the end of the presentation. Uh, I'll always remember it was a it was a nighttime presentation for the engineers who actually serviced the planes. The very next day, we'll be flying all around Europe with passengers on it. Sure. Uh, initially, told me story is building a wheelchair. I, I honestly thought that's what they wanted to talk about, and you know, the similarities of being in a wheelchair. But he stopped me. He said, "No, it's not that." He said, "My brother's about 100 miles away, and unfortunately, one of our parents passed away a couple of weeks ago. And since the funeral, I've not been able to capture my brother. He was in a wheelchair. So I feel really concerned. And your presentations led me to believe that family." Mm. Family is the most important thing. So tomorrow, I'm not coming to work. Can I drive 100 miles and find out what's wrong with my brother? So mm-hmm. after he told me his story, I said, can I just give you some advice? I said, can you just go and tell your manager that exact story that you've told me? Right. So don't just, don't just turn, not turn in for your shift. Go and speak. So he did, and he made contact with me over the weekend. He basically said, I took the advice. I went to see my manager. I told him all the story about my brother and you know, mm-hmm. the wheelchair. He said, that is absolutely okay. He says, please, please, please take the off tomorrow. In fact, now you've told me I'm now able to rearrange shift patterns and get someone to cover your shift tomorrow. So tomorrow, it's not just you not turned up. I've got something in place. So so that's a big relief for me, but you've not just not turned sure. up. He said, in fact, we're okay tonight, work-wise. Um, seeing what you've told me, do you want to go home? And I think this, for me, is a bit we've got mm. to try and get Right. He said, he said, um, no, I think I'm fine. I've offloaded all my issues. I think I'm fine doing the shift. And mm-hmm. the troubling bit for me was of the conversation was, he then said that from the previous three evenings, he'd had so much on his mind, he couldn't remember being at work. Now, this guy was servicing planes that are flying across Europe. And for three days, because his mind was not on the job, his, his stress levels were I, he couldn't remember being at work for three days. And for me, that was a light bulb moment thinking, we, we have to push this because this, sure. he, he, yeah. So the, the upshot was he spoke about how he was feeling. He was able mm-hmm. to come to the shift that night. So, you know, the knock on effect was it ended up really, really positively where, well, I don't even want to, I don't even want to go into a conversation about what may or may not have happened if he had conscious to work that night with all that was going through his mind. It, it, you know, it, he hardly dares even thinking about the consequences of, you know, how, how we've been working. So for me, sure. that was the greatest connection I can see where people say we need evidence that well-being and safety is connected. Well, mm-hmm. how many examples 
we need. Do we do we really need to go along the lines of you know where we've been for safety for so long? Let's wait for a major accident to happen and then we work backwards so it never happens again. Wouldn't it be great to stop things happening in the first place? Right. And I think you well how people are feeling is is the early indicator to, to a safety incident. Because you know, mm-hmm. you have a bad day at work, you follow up with your supervisor because you're in a bad mood, so there's a bit of animosity between you and your supervisor, or people at work start to fall out a little bit. Um, you start to come with John at work, and work then becomes a place where you don't want to come to in the morning, so you've got all things about presentism and absenteeism and mm-hmm. all that and quality and production. It, surely, an uh, engaged worker is someone who's going to give you the best work, you know, more productive. Um, loads and loads of discretionary effort where he puts a bit of extra effort in just because he's in a good place yep. where the worker who is suffering yeah he might turn up every day you might clock on every day and you might get eight hours work out of him but how much quality work is he actually giving exactly you know, yeah so you know the, the the cost of this is you know what is the cost and the cost is normally the first time it's highlighted when it's either a near miss or a, a, a problem with production then we go back and find this worker. And it's always in hindsight, isn't it? We always find out the problem the worker is suffering, mm-hmm. like, like like me, the day after the accident. So we have to come into a place where this is high on the agenda because yeah, people people who I'm speaking to, and, and when we when we speak about this subject only last week, we're a small group of workers in front of us, and I'd say 70% of them instantly spoke about how they was feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, so I would imagine thirty did as well, but obviously a bit more, bit, bit more um, conservative about speaking up. But some of the guys were saying, um, you know, I'm having some problems outside work at the moment at the minute. I'm bringing it all into work. I think for me, what more can we do to mm-hmm. highlight the connection? Because there's still some kickback in a lot of, you know, why, why is well-being being tied into safety? I thought, well, we we, we really, really have to start connecting the dots between exactly. safety and not during safety. I know when you when you speak to Tim on, on you know, in a future podcast, they'll give you the the scientific reasons by what you know why we need to do what we do. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, 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 you know it's unfortunate I had my accident, but in a way, I can't change that. You know, it, mm-hmm. for twenty five years, it was always you know nothing nothing meant anything to me because I was always thinking, yeah, but I, I still want I still want my legs back, I still want to walk. But being a wheelchair has actually given me a bit of a purpose in life, and if if my purpose is that we can we can show this connection between safety and well-being. Because it's, it's new for me to realise what I did. It was always about a safety accident, a safety violation I made that day. Well, for me, when I just look over my accident, I know I've gone over it very briefly, Eric, today, some of the things I normally talk about. But I think for even the viewers, you can easily see that the connection between my well-being on the day of my accident, it wasn't it wasn't nothing major. It was a you know, marriage problems, I don't know, debt problems, um, just the run-of-the-mill problems that some people can have. And yes, it was starting to get quite difficult, you know, mm-hmm. talking about getting divorced, part of my accident, you know, you know, all the problems that all them stresses and worries was on my mind that that caused me to to not follow through when I realized something was unsafe on site. You know? Right. Could could I honestly sit here and say it's that million dollar question? I don't know what it is. Um, but I strongly believe that if my mindset had been in a lot better place that day mm. on the day of the accident, I would have 100% spoken up. There's no way I would have climbed that ladder. And it's just True. because I was in such a bad place. Everything was on top of me. It was basically last job of the day, get the job done, you can go home. 
Right. Now, you know, you must have a guest on the podcast, Eric, and with all your experience, how many times have you had that story on an accident? It was the last job of the day. It was the rush job. Mm-hmm. We always, we always look, we always look for a broken violation. Yeah. We do. Do we ever, ever look for a broken person? And I think this is the part that's very powerful in terms of your story is really linking the importance of looking at well-being um, and how that impacts in workforce safety outcomes. Uh, because if your if your focus isn't on the task, you're bound to 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 to, to accept greater risk to maybe not focus on something that's not quite right. Um, but you've also touched on the importance of active care, essentially, really, in terms of the, the leader who understands, who knows their team, can spot the difference. Um, they can ask that extra question, the, the going beyond the, are you okay? Going a little bit deeper, maybe connecting that something's not quite right this, today. Um, but the last piece I want to, to touch on with you is also the element of psychological safety, which I think is another element that that shows up in your story. Um, but also a story, an element that's incredibly important in terms of the role of the supervisor and the leader to impact a great safe work environment so that people can feel comfortable speaking up, stopping work, escalating issues, um, and having the right dialogue. Any any thoughts on that on that theme? Well, I think, I think you've sort of covered it there, really. I think it, it is literally that. You know, to, to, we have to, first of all, recognize that psychological safety exists. So I know still... Right. There's some areas of safety are very, very reluctant to add this into their remit. They, they believe it's not part of their, you know, we're, we're safety professionals. Sure. This, is a different, this is a different area. Let's get the experts in this. And, yeah, we do, we need to lay with, with the experts. But for me, psych safety is the next big bit because, for me, you know, when you analyse my accident, the mm-hmm. psychological aspect of the safety, you know, the, the risk – you mentioned all the risk appetite, you know, I, I think you know the, the more the, the more problems you're outside of work, your risk appetite goes up, and it's not because you. I mean, some people enjoy risk. You know, we've got people who do base jumping, yep. people who do, do skydives. That, but they are the extremes. You know, this is the average guy going to work. You know, and I think sometimes that you, you can be in a really good place, and the problem comes up. And you, know, you talk about engineers who like to solve problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, so their risk is like because they're too clever to have an accident. But when you look at the the average worker, I think the appetite for risk is not something they they enjoy doing. You know, fatigue picks into this, doesn't it? If you're if you're tired when you come to work, you've got all problems with your mental health and problems outside sure. of marriage. You, you know, there's, there's physical fatigue and there's mental fatigue. And when you've got mental fatigue because you're tired and your risk appetite actually goes up because you're thinking, I haven't got the time to do it properly, so I'll mm-hmm. just get. The- Done. But then, because you're tired and you're taking these risks, you're then more likely to take, you know, the, the calculated risk you might think you're taking is not very, very much highly calculated because you're in such a bad place. I think for me, that's where psycho, psych safety, psychological safety start looking at, you know, the work and what we can do. Because, you know, being a nice manager, a nice supervisor can change how people are feeling. Sure. So if, I come, if I've come to work in a really bad mood because I've had a bad day, the first, you know, the first couple of conversations with my, with my supervisor or my manager can set them up for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. So if I, you know, if I come to work with an empathetic um, um, supervisor, 
who spots them just acting a little bit differently, you know, we're clocking off the day, you know, oh, Jay's how you did they look a little bit different. Yep. If, all right, yeah, everything's fine. Let's, let's go for a little bit of chat. And I tell him all my problems about how I'm feeling, what's going to happen in my marriage. And much like so I've just told you, I, I probably feel a lot, lot better in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, that that is a link we've got to get across that it, it, it is a part of safety now. Um, and the resistance we're putting out there, I, I question what, what is it that the safety world are frightened of? You know, I know there's, there's a lot of conversations. We, we don't want to get involved in this side of, of safety. You know? Sure. I, I question, I question, the question is really why not? Mm-hmm. You know, as, we move, as we move more and more forward and more reports come out and the more experts like Tim and the like mm-hmm. start looking at, looking at site, site uh, safety, and the implications it has. Now, you know, having a bad day at work results in you going home in a bad mood, which which results in that you don't play with the kids and you probably go down the, down the bar or something, have a couple of beers and you fall out mm-hmm. with your wife. You have a bad weekend. You don't go to the sports with your children. So then you've had a bad weekend. Then Monday morning, you're back at work in another bad mood because you had a bad, bad weekend. And sure. then you have another bad mood. So for me, that progression of, you know, feeling down about work and your home life, the connection between the two. So um, it's a huge new area. And just because people are don't understand it doesn't mean we, have, we can't look at it as a huge impact on safety. Exactly. Absolutely. And I think your, your story illustrates that and illustrates the importance. And as you alluded to, we're going to have uh, Professor... Uh, Tim, Mar- Tim as well, uh, Marsh share his story and his his research on this uh, in a future episode. Uh, but Jason, really appreciate the time you took to uh, share some of your story and and the insights around the importance of linking well being and culture, the importance of active care, the um, importance of psychological safety, and all of this. Uh, I think it's in a very powerful story. If some if somebody wants to get in touch with you. Um, have you speak to them, share some some insights around it? What's the best way to do that? Just go through the Anchor and Marsh website. It's online, just Anchor and Marsh, and, and come across all what we do from, from inspirational speaking all the way through to culture change and you know the expertise of Tim, you know, a global, global sort of recognized um, practitioner of what he does. So yeah, Anchor and Marsh website. Excellent. Well, Jason, thank you very much for, for sharing your story, for uh, inspiring organizations and individuals to make uh, safety uh, part of every day. Thank you. Thank you very much. So much for the invite. Like what we do? Share this on your socials and tell everyone. Thank you for listening to the Safety Guru on C-Suite Radio. Leave a legacy. Distinguish yourself from the pack. Grow your success. Capture the hearts and minds of your teams. Fuel your future. Come back in two weeks for the next episode or listen to our sister show with the Ops Guru, Eric McCroskey.